Welcome to the next Mind Over Natter podcast from Black Country Healthcare. This month we're talking all about autism and welcome to our guests uh, Sally and Ian. Hi, welcome today. Um, can you just start off by telling us a bit about who you are and what your role is in the Trust? Okay, um, my name's Ian. Yeah, I work for the Adult ADHD and Autism Service um, over in Stabridge. So we um, assess and diagnose um, people with um, autism um, and ADHD. My name's Sally Hilton and I'm an adult autism specialist nurse. I work alongside the diagnostic service, but I actually work all the way across the trust. First question is, it's quite a basic question, but I think maybe one that's possibly understood sometimes. So what is autism? So autism is a neurodevelopmental disorder and it's quite a, quite a common disorder and um, it's one in about 100 people are estimated in the UK to be diagnosed with autism or to be autistic. Um, and it has a combination of different features. So part of that relates to social communication and to interaction and relationships with people but also um, repetitive and routine behaviours that people might experience as well. Um, yeah, like Sally was saying, um, I think to, to have autism or to be autistic, um, yeah, there are those three, social communication, social interaction and repetitive behaviours, but actually in, in, in real life, um, being autistic is, um, you know, if you ask anybody what autism was, it would be something different to um, to every individual really because um, it's not just a set of difficulties or deficiencies it's you know it's the way that person interacts with the world really it's, um, so it's a combination of all of those things but um, to more or less of a degree to different people yeah I think I've, I've read somewhere and I've seen it used quite a bit around once you've met one person with autism you've met one person with autism and I think Sometimes people like to perhaps band them into a group of behaviours, perhaps. Um, so what's some of the signs that might indicate somebody has autism? Well, often people will have had difficulties from a, a very young age. Some people might be um, showing signs of um, differences in their development from 18 months old. Um, but often people don't actually get a diagnosis until much, much later in life maybe even in their 70s or 80s. So part of the um, difficulty that's been experienced previously is that um, diagnostic services haven't been available, uh, available for people. So um, that's been a big difficulty. But people might have great difficulty in managing their relationships or might have differences. They might find themselves quite isolated. Um, they might have differences in their communication. Um, and just general coping strategies and how they engage with their everyday lives and within their environments as well. Sometimes that can seem quite tricky for people. Yeah, I think it's difficult because, um, as Sam was quite rightly saying, people quite often don't get diagnosed for quite late in life. And the thing is, people by that point quite often have developed coping strategies and ways of getting around things so quite often you might not even know there might not be any outward signs um, but that doesn't mean that somebody's not feeling 
um, those difficulties inside. So I think sometimes when we're looking at people and we're, we're measuring people by a standard, a social kind of standard that's kind of always there, we've all touched at somebody at a bus stop because they've kind of looked at us in a funny way or that they've not said good morning when we've said good morning back. Now, that could be autism, it might not be autism, but you know, I think sometimes we just need to just be a little bit more aware that everybody's different, everybody's got different kind of likes, dislikes, needs. Um, so you're not always going to be able to tell. Yeah. Um, so when, when you hear people talking about autism, you often hear them describing a spectrum. Um, what, what does that mean? Going back to what you said um, at the start about if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism, I think that describes it perfectly. I mean, even if you think of um, people who aren't autistic, you know, we, we've all got different personalities, we've all got, you know, different skills, we've all got different kind of things that we find difficult. So it, it's just about that, really. It's about, you know, for me, I think it's about not just looking at somebody as autistic. It, looking at all the other things that go to make up that person's identity as well. So I mean, there are people, um, there are autistic people who are from different um, ethnic backgrounds, from different faiths, religions, you know, sexu you know sexualities and um, even gender identities and, you know, so I think it's about that. I think it, it, it is, it's, it's just such a massive spectrum how autism affects one person with, you know, with their kind of identity and how it affects another person's autism. It, it's going to be completely not be different. So it's really, really difficult just to pigeonhole people into that person who's autistic. It's you know, 
What do you think some of the common misconceptions are around autism? Well, I think there's a lot of discussion about you know, characters that might be um, seen in the um, media, I guess, really. So, you know, characters like Rain, I mean, I think there's a lot of uh, ideas that somebody might have, you know, amazing big talents in maths or something like that and go to do all these um, trial things and stuff. But actually, in reality, you know, you might have lots and lots of really skilled and really highly qualified people. But you've also got lots of people who, you know, they, they haven't discovered what their, um, you know, their, their individual skills may be. Or they, you know, they're just getting on with their ordinary day-to-day lives. So, you know, I think um, people can have lots of different, uh, different ideas about how a, a, a talented person should be. And also, you know, keep coming back to that individual presentation, really. Because although some people might have great difficulties in um, making eye contact, actually some people can make really good eye, eye contact 
Um, so you can't necessarily say that that person is not autistic because they're making good eye contact with you. Um, and again, coming back to um, that masking as well, so you, you may not fully see the, um, that kind of autistic presentation unless you know somebody really well and they you know, trust you to be able to provide that information for you. I think for me as well, it's about friendships. I think people kind of automatically assume um, that autistic people don't really want to have friends, they're loners, they want to be on their own. And um, I think sometimes some people, not all people, but some people might find it more difficult to make friends, but that doesn't actually mean um, that you know, they enjoy being on their own. And equally well, you know, like, you know autistic people have lots of friends that are actually quite social. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's very, very difficult to like I said earlier on, to pigeonhole people and think that you know, everybody is going to have exactly the same. It, it might be the nature of the friendship as well, mightn't it? Because people might have a preference, you know, for, and might have really strong friendships in their on, online connections. Um, you know, I, I meet lots of people who are really interested in gaming and they've got good friendships or good friendships on social media like Twitter. Um, and you know those connections are good, but they may not necessarily have lots of people who come into their house. And also, again, as you were saying, like, speak to lots, lots of autistic people who do express that they feel quite lonely at times as well, and do feel quite isolated. But it's quite difficult, and especially if you've got quite a niche interest. So you know there might not be lots of people around you who are interested in your particular focus. So I think it's. Um, that, that's part, a big part of the, the difficulty as well. Um, another thing as well, there's a lot of discussion about autistic people not experiencing great empathy and being able to um, understand other people's feelings. And I think, you know, I, I'm not 100% sure about that because I think we've got lots of autistic people who are very empathic actually, and we've got lots of autistic people within relationships, married and with children. And, you know, they're managing all of those aspects of their relationships really, really well. Um, so I think, it, you know, we probably need to think a little bit about that as well and that expectation that we might have that somebody isn't going to be able to be empathic. I think when I was like researching for this, um, I read through the chat notes from the uh, virtual event that we did in can't even remember when it was, it might have been March time now, um, around autism and actually what I took from that was there are a lot of people on who attended that event that were saying they were lonely, so that, that struck a chord with me actually, I thought that, that's quite sad really because I, perhaps society, um, I don't know, people might find it difficult to make a friendship with someone who might um, have autism and I guess sessions like this and other things, we were, it's about trying to change that understanding, change that perception. Um, moving on to the next sort of question. Um, what can you do if you suspect either yourself or a family member um, is autistic? I think it, you know, the person needs to be really ready to receive that diagnosis and that's a really, really personal thing. We've got lots of people who just self-identify as being autistic and they never go through that diagnostic process and they're actually managing okay, they've got a network around them. But if somebody suspects that they um, are autistic and they do want to pursue a diagnosis, I think for me the first step would be to approach your GP. Um, and certainly in the black country, your GP 
Yeah, I think again, I think it's a, it's a personal thing, really, isn't it? I mean, I think um, maybe if it's um, there's a lot of information out there on the internet, and we can all read through these things and think, oh, I'm a bit like that, I'm a bit like that, I'm a bit like that, and and, and like I say, um, yeah, and, and, and almost self-diagnose ourselves or others. So I think it is important. Yes, it's important to have that kind of awareness and that kind of understanding of autism. And if there are maybe things that you've seen in, I suppose, in your children. Yeah, go to the GP. I think if it was kind of somebody else, I, I, I think it would be a difficult kind of thing to, to approach, really. I think you'd have to really, really know that that person. Um, so yeah, I think, especially when it comes down to adults, it's about how that person is experiencing life, if they're having any difficulties, if they're not having any difficulties. So, so yeah, I think that's kind of a, um, a person-specific thing, really. How about um, if you, for example, uh, work with somebody who has autism or supports somebody um, with autism, what kind of adjustments could you make? Well, each of those adjustments, they're going to be dependent on that individual person. So for me, the first thing that I would be doing is having a conversation with that person and finding out what it is that's going to suit them the best. So some people, um, they can just focus on their getting tendons today as well, but other people, they might need quite a quiet and quite a predictable atmosphere. So sometimes it can be helpful if that person has got their own area. They might not want to be hot testing because that's quite complicated sometimes to navigate and to negotiate. Um, also, some people, and we haven't really talked about it, but some people can have um, really quite marked sensory differences and that you know sensory processing disorders either and often people can be quite sensitive either to light or to um, sounds as well auditory sensitivities so some people have got their own um, techniques that they use you might see people wearing headphones or ear defenders so that they can um, manage the, um, that sensitivity themselves um, some people really struggle with um, things like fluorescent lighting, so they might need lower lighting. Um, we've got lots of adjustments here at Hill House, so in the um, clinic rooms, often um, it, like I'm using the larger overhead fluorescent lights, they might use the um, lamps or something and higher where possible to use natural lighting. Um, and I think sometimes it's just time for processing information as well. Also, it's helpful, I think, sometimes if there's a kind of a breakaway area or some strike outside where somebody can just have a bit of a chance to um, reflect and uh, get themselves organised, really. Um, so I feel things become quite overwhelming. But initially, as I say, that first discussion with that person, they're probably going to be able to tell you what will help and what won't help. Um, I've had some discussions as well, um, sometimes people really have a strong preference for a particular kind of um, technology as well. So I know, um, you know, there are particular um, um, IT equipment that are particularly useful for people, um, but again, that's an, an individual um, basis really. Yeah, and I feel really just back that up, just communication. And I think that's whether you work with somebody or whether you support somebody because um, I think, especially if you're working with people, you know, there are supervisions and those kind of things. But I think 
it does need to be a conversation because some people might not want people to know um, that they're autistic, whereas other people are more open about it. Um, so unless you kind of have those conversations, and I think it's also about being aware that um, you know it's it's not always static. You know, autism and kind of you know it can kind of change as people kind of through experiences, through age, through all sorts of things. So it's not like that works and it's got to work forever. And as far as support is saying, one thing I'll say, one thing that, that really needs to kind of happen there after those conversations, depending on that person's needs and the level of support you're providing. It's about documenting and writing things down and making sure people are aware because, you know, you know, I've had experiences in the past where things have kind of um, been attributed to people's kind of behaviour rather than that they've been in the wrong environment or that, that you know there are things that have been you know like personal um, and I use the word triggers and that just means those those kind of things that somebody really really finds difficult and, and you know and other people haven't been aware of it hasn't been communicated so I think it comes down mainly to communication but you know however that may be. Okay. Um. So, how do you think we can create wider understanding and acceptance around autism? Well, I think within this trust we're working quite hard, so we're looking at um, training for the full workforce, because we're hoping to provide a much more autism-friendly service. So that's one of the things that we're looking at. And I think a big part, really, is just acceptance, and I think that acceptance really comes from understanding. Because I think sometimes people can be a little bit fearful and not necessarily know the right thing to say or how to say it or what to say or should they say anything at all really. And I think sometimes when you feel a bit like that you just tend to maybe say the wrong thing or just step back from it and not want to, to deal with it. So that's one of the things that, that I've observed. I think I would say as well, I think as, kind of, as, as people working um, in the field or just doesn't really matter what job you're doing, you, you, you might be you know, talking to or kind of come into contact with, with autistic people. So I think we've kind of all, we've got a duty to do our own research as well, and to, to kind of, you know, um, you know, we, we can't always just take information to put on our laps. So I think it's our responsibility as well to go out and to do a little bit of research, to see kind of what's out there. And what I would say is don't just read things that are written in books. Have a look at blogs or autistic people have written and so you can see kind of from like a um, from, from there from, from like that insider perspective so you, you really really know how somebody is feeling rather than what you've just read in, in, in a book or kind of even listen to like a podcast or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I have experience of podcasts as well. There, there are actually quite a few um, podcasts by autistic people and I think listening to those podcasts and I know especially of late because there's been lots of um, webinars around so I think you know, if you have a search for those and certainly on social media I, I know particularly on Twitter there are a lot of autistic people who've got really excellent Twitter accounts who provide a great deal of insight into their experiences and I think sometimes just reading those and having that better understanding of how somebody is experiencing their life you know, there might be some things that you just would never have considered before and I think it, it can be quite eye-opening and help you to really understand and I think that would be the main thing I would say because that lived experience is the thing that's going to teach you more than anything else. I think it's, it's 
going back to what we were saying at the start, though, um, I think always bear in mind that whatever one person's experiences might not be the experiences of somebody else. So I think it's kind of look and looking at these kind of things widely and just realizing that it's like a little piece of the jigsaw rather than the whole picture, so to speak. Yeah, I think we're, we're as humans, we're, we're quite, I don't know, I guess we're quite used to lumping people together in certain things. So, um, yeah, I think that's really, again, I think the theme throughout all of this is, again, it's so individualised, it, it's, it's difficult to kind of say, oh, this is the characteristics and this and that, because actually it's all down to individual person. So how about um, if people want to find out more about the services we perhaps provide as a trust? or learn more about autism, what, what would you say? In terms of finding out about the services, I think if you require any service, I, I think you know, everything would be to, to make contact. I know I would try to see lots of emails from people. I'm not always the right person to deal with it, but I think when they're trying to test that person on. Um, I think you know, if you search the full concern on either speaking to GPs or if you've got another health professional involved, have a chat with them and see if they can look around and support you to find help as well. Um, there's also some really excellent work and I think not just in the black country, but across the country really in recovery colleges and they've often got really excellent resources and different courses that you can tap into. And I know certainly um, here in the black country, the recovery college has done a lot of work in terms of um, textbook by experience and um, services involvement in terms of um, developing documentation, which I think is good. So making sure that we're not overloading people with information, because sometimes we get used to working in a particular way and presenting information in a particular way, and that might speak you know, 70 or 80 percent of the population, but actually not just autistic people, but you know other other groups of, of the population might just need something a little bit more bespoke, a little bit clearer information rather than it just being such a wordy document because that's often quite difficult to manage. But um, yeah, so GPs, um, mental health functions that you might be working with, um, recovery college, also educational um, facilities as well can often support and they often have um, different um, specialist advisors who might be able to advise and to find counselling as well. Um, and then other services which are um, autism specific, like um, you know, we've got Autism North Midlands, who are a really excellent resource. Um, and then uh, within the local authority, I know there are different um, services for uh, different aspects, really. Quite tricky to navigate because I know in some areas they might have one thing, but that might not be present in another area. So things like befriending services are often available. Um, different social groups, that's been much more difficult, obviously during the, um, the pandemic. Um, different, um, different clubs and, and, and organisations that people can belong to. I know in um, Sandwell they've done quite a lot of work um, with um, Sandwell People's Parliament. Um, so there are lots, lots and lots of different um, different things that people can tap into um, depending on what the person's needs. I think it is difficult, I think, because um, I think it's one of those things that's um, been a lot talked um, on you know, forums and run by people who are autistic about kind of 
I think a lot of people feel as though they, they fall between those gaps um, of learning disability services and mental health services, um, autism is neither. Um, so again, it's about yeah, GPs and, and, and kind of almost being gatekeepers for services, but again, this is why understanding autism and, and that autism awareness and all of those things are, are so important because um, you know if, if you, you aren't recognised, you're not picking up on traits or you're not picking up on um, on issues, then you know people aren't going to get um, direct the right services. So that's why that you know I think that autism awareness and all that um, that, that's currently going on is fantastic. But actually, most people are aware of autism. Most people know autism's there. <coughs> but being aware of it and understanding it are two completely different things. So I think that's key, really, making sure people get the right services. And I guess we, we do have some information as well on our website, uh, blackcountryhealthcare.nhs.uk. Um, just final, I guess, um, point. Um, have you got sort of any key messages or anything that you would say is like really important or key that you would like people to take away around the topic of autism? Yeah, I guess it's just that, um, that um, autistic people um, are not just autistic people, they've also got um, different backgrounds, different experiences, they've got different cultures and, or, or, you know, and, and you know, have, like I say, different lived experiences. So it's about not just looking at somebody as autistic, it's about looking at them as um, an individual. Yeah, I think particularly in health services as well, as it relates to Well, thank you both for um, coming along and recording this. Um, and we will have future topics on our Mind Over Natter podcast. Thank you.